My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. This morning I'm going to be preaching from the reading from the epistle from 1 John, keeping in line with, well, we've been in 1 John mostly for the past few weeks now. And the title of the sermon this morning is going to be Burdensome or Victorious. Burdensome or Victorious. So, not to spoil the book, and some of you might know where this is going, there's a moment, and stay with me, in the book, and it's in the movie too, The Lord of the Rings, that reminded me of some of what we've read from John's first epistle. And I think this popped up in my head because I've been listening to a podcast centered on, on these books and also um, reading uh, a wonderful book called Tolkien's uh, Theology of Beauty, which I think is, is very, very good. Anyway, that, all that to say, Frodo and Sam have journeyed through Mordor and have finally, after pain and hurt and incredible hardship, they've come to the foot of Mount Doom, the volcano where they have journeyed to cast in the One Ring. And at the base of the mountain, they fall asleep, but they're suddenly awakened by a sense of urgency. However, Frodo is so overcome with the pain of his many wounds, he's been stabbed, he's been bitten by giant spiders, he's been captured and beaten, as well as the terrible weight of the ring that manifests itself to him as an actual physical weight. He cannot move. And Sam says, I said I'd carry him if it broke my back, he muttered, and I will. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you and it as well. Sam staggered to his feet. And then, to his amazement, he felt the burden light. He had feared that he wouldn't have barely strength to lift his master alone, but it was not so. So we see in their moment of greatest need, Sam uh, selflessly helps Frodo, even though he himself is also weak and hurt. And in that moment, it's very interesting, he is gifted strength from where he doesn't know to carry the burden of Frodo and the ring up to the mountain of fire. And this act helps get them where they need to go so the quest can be finished and the forces of good can finally overcome the forces of darkness and evil. And I think that's a beautiful example, a beautiful picture of what we're going to be talking about this morning, about the burdens of our Lord and being victorious overcomers. In the third verse from the reading of of 1 John 5, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We've been talking about, for the past few weeks, abiding in the love of God, and how abiding in the love of God is tied in with obeying the commandments of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and loving one another the way that Jesus Christ loves us. John has told us a few times that Christ gave himself up for us, and how that is the model for us as well. And caring for one another is a marker, air quotes, right, a marker, of those who abide in God and God in them. However, we see the commandments of Jesus sometimes as a burden. And we might scratch our heads and say, that doesn't really make any sense. 
Because Jesus tells us in the Gospels. I'm scratching my head because I'm not itchy. It's just me pretending to be <laughs> puzzled, right? That's for my wife when she's watching. I'm not scratching. I'm just, you know. Why? What's going on? Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, didn't he? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So why do the burdens of the Lord sometimes seem so heavy? Why do they seem like such a great weight? I thought they were supposed to be light, but we often forget that we actually are given a burden, a yoke that's put on us in the first place. And make no mistake, brothers and sisters, there is a burden, a yoke that's placed on us to following Jesus. And and in that, we are expected as Christians who bear Christ's name to follow our Lord's example. And St. Paul even gets on the bandwagon when he writes in Galatians to fulfill one uh, to, to, to help relieve each other's burdens, to bear one another's burdens. And in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ, which we know is summed up in the commandment to love one another. But often we feel our burdens are too great to help someone else with their own. And we think the demands of Christ are too difficult. And many turn back. And sometimes they even turn away. But those who persist will find when they reach out their hands to do so that the burden is so light that they find that they can do it with more ease than may have looked possible. And not to get too specific, but to get specific, this is why the fundraiser, I think, for Bright Hope is so important. Because in our day and age, it's easier to send women to Planned Parenthood than it is to an organization that will actually help them keep their unborn child. And it's a harder road. It's a much harder road. But when we walk it with those who need it, we'll find the burden isn't as heavy as we thought it was. There's a commentator named Andreas who notes in his Katina, keeping the commandments is both the form and the substance of our love for God. Those who obey them are brought close to God by them. If someone looks at them the wrong way and says they are heavy to bear, he is merely revealing his own weakness. Let's talk about being victorious overcomers. Verse 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's very easy to misinterpret what St. John means here by calling us overcomers, uh, our being victorious. And so when I say the word overcomer to you, what springs to mind? You just shout it out. Anybody? Just shout it out. When I say overcomer, what springs to mind? For me, Rocky springs to mind. Right? <laughs> Not the first one, but two and three and four. And five, is, five is terrible. But when I say the word overcomer, what springs to your mind? What springs to your mind, if you're anything like me, is it carries with it right this connection to fighting or some type of conflict where people are, are, are fighting against one another or nations are at war with one another. Right, oh, like maybe to put it in terms like this, right? Get a little historical. So, the Persians, right, way back in the day, are moving into to Greece, and after a series of uh, some victories but some heavy losses, uh, I think it's Xerxes. He finally he retreats and goes back to Persia, but he leaves a large force under a general I think named Mary- Mariandus. I can't remember his exact name, but uh, anyway, they decide to fight at this place called Plataea. And even though the Persians outnumber the Greeks that are led by the Spartan armies, the Greeks are actually able to completely rout and destroy the Persian army. They're able to overcome them. They emerge triumphant. And their victory is so great that the Persians never again 
are able to mount a force like that to try and conquer Greece. To overcome, then, means to meet some hardship head-on and, and to beat it. And for many Christians, they take this verse from John to mean that their being overcomers means that they are overcomers of things that affect them in this world, like poverty, illness, persecution, unemployment, and that to overcome means to receive material blessings. This is bad theology, brothers and sisters, and, and bad theology leads to people doing things they may not have originally. Bad theology has an effect on how we live, right? Bad theology leads to that terrible tweet that I read to you this morning before the service began. The world is not going to mean the created order, right? When he says that the world is overcome. Because even though sin and death have marked creation, have marred creation, it is still good. And the world here is a reference to the spiritual forces at work and how that manifests itself in human society, right? The world then puts out alternate ways of acting, thinking, and being that are in opposition to God. And we have to navigate that reality, which is why we are told to not love the world. When John says, don't love the world, when the Bible says, don't love the world, he's not, the, the Bible is not talking about the beauty that you see if you're able to go look at the Grand Canyon. Has anybody ever been able to go to the Grand Canyon? I haven't. I've seen pictures. It's amazing. I was looking online the other day at pictures of Saturn, and I'm like, that is beautiful. There was a, a satellite that we kind of had orbiting Saturn for a really long time and then took a whole bunch of pictures. I remember um, after I graduated seminary, my parents were living in South Africa, and they flew me over there as a graduation present to visit them for a while. And uh, we flew to Cape Town to visit my, my brother-in-law, who was pastoring there at the time, along with my sister and my, my, my nieces. My nieces. And we went to a place called Stellenbosch, and if, <laughs> and if you ever want to go to one of the most beautiful places on earth, go to Stellenbosch. And if you like wine, and one of the most beautiful places on earth, go to Stellenbosch. <laughs> but uh, we were driving around the mountains, and you have this beautiful land, right, surrounded by mountains, and then you get Cape Town with the city and the sea, and you can drive along the coast. And we were driving up, and we, as we, we came up to the top of this, this hill, we, 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 we were driving, and I saw something so incredibly gorgeous, I asked my brother-in-law to stop, and he did. And we pulled over to the side of the road, and we all got out of the car. And it was one of the most beautiful sights I think I'll ever see in my entire life. Right? So I sat down, and I just, we all just sat there and just looked at it. And eventually, I was like, hey, get a picture, too, so I can, like, remember this. But it was the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen in nature. Like, the mountains were kind of like this, and you had all of this beautiful farmland in the middle, and the sun was coming, going down just right, and the light was streaking across the clouds. It was gorgeous, and it was beautiful, and I was left in awe. When the scriptures tell us, don't love the world, he's not saying that the world is disposable. It's not saying that we can't love seeing things like that, because the world is good. That is good. God made the world a good thing. When Scripture tells us don't love the world, Scripture is talking about don't go along with the world's systems, with the world's actions, with the world's belief, because 
those actions and those beliefs are empowered by evil spiritual wickedness in opposition to God. There was a a, a 19th century pastor scholar named McLaren. He wrote this. And the world woos me to trust it, to love it. It crowds in upon my eye and shuts out the greater things beyond. Absorbs my attention so that if I I let it have its own way, I have no leisure to think about anything but itself. And the world conquers me when it succeeds in hindering me from seeing, loving, holding communion with, and serving God. On the other hand, I conquer it when I lay my hand upon it and force it to help me to get nearer to him. To get, like to, to get more like him, to think more often of him, to do his will more gladly and more constantly. The one victory over the world is to bend it to serve me in the highest things, the attainment of a clearer vision of the divine nature, the attainment of a deeper love to God himself, and of a more glad consecration and service to him. That is the victory, when you can make the world a ladder to lift you to God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, those born of God. Those who follow the non-burdensome commands of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he was truly made human. Those are the overcomers. And we have to remember, right? So in the context of 1 John, there's a heresy that was floating around at that time. And it had worked its way into that community. And that community was also having trouble with some of the Jewish factions that were losing their belief in Jesus as the Messiah. And this heresy called Docetism was something that said that Jesus wasn't an actual human person. Right? We we just, you know, confessed in the Apostles' Creed this morning that (laughs) he was born from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became... Man, right? So we believe as Christians that Christ is both truly human and he is both truly divine. You want to get technical? You want to impress your friends at a party? It's called the hypostatic union. So if you want to impress somebody when you're eating chips and salsa, say, hey, you know what the hypostatic union is? It's the divine and human natures of God joined together but not mixed, but not separated or confused. Have a nice day. And you'll have made a new friend. But that is what we confess. That God the Son assumed a human nature. That is something central to our faith. It's a non-negotiable of our faith. And this community, they were starting to believe this heresy called Docetism, which, which taught that Jesus wasn't really human. That he was just sort of like a spiritual figure or an illusion who sort of just, he wasn't truly crucified on the cross. It just kind of looked like he was. I don't know, maybe, he, maybe they thought of it like, like we would think of like a holographic projection, right? When they, when they had the holograph of Tupac at like the Coachella like the, uh, a couple years ago. Like that, that's Jesus. No, that's not what Jesus actually was truly human. And so this belief is happening in this community, and John has to combat that by reminding them of who Jesus was, that he truly was the Messiah, that he truly came. So it isn't just enough to say that one has to believe in Jesus. We have to believe in who Jesus actually is, the Son of God. We can't put Jesus in the place of a traveling hippie or a progressive thinker or a conservative thinker or some crazy mystic who just came and went. 
We can't put Jesus in any of those places. We are challenged to believe in the actual Jesus who lived an actual human life while also being fully divine and that he suffered and died for our reconciliation with God, for our salvation. And not only for our sins, but for the sins, John will say in 1 John, of the entire world. Those who hold to these truths, those are the ones who overcome in finality because those who hold to those truths, those who demonstrate that through their own lives of love, they are those whom death no longer holds any power over, whose sin no longer has any power over. And this is what it means to overcome the world. By being in Christ, we receive all of the benefits that it brings us. And we become God's image-bearing, divine human beings. By grace. And we participate in the coming new heavens and the new earth. And that is overcoming. And that is how our faith gives us the victory. That means when it's my time, when my time comes to die, and I have no idea when that will be, and I pray that it's in a very, very long time so I can see my kids grow up and hopefully get married and have kids of their own and, and see how they live and develop in their own lives in God. But when that day comes, right, to, for me to be an overcomer means that when I'm in my, the casket and when they see me at the wake and people come and they pay their final respects and then they take me to the graveyard and they close my cask and they start to lower it into the grounds, To be an overcomer means that death doesn't have the final say there. To be an overcomer means that me being in the ground, that me being in that casket, to be an overcomer means that one day I'm going to bust out of there. Like those pictures of Superman when he's wearing chains and he breaks the chains like that, right? It's kind of like that. One day, one day when Christ returns, and we who have died in faith return with him. And our bodies are rejoined with our spirits and we become resurrected, new, transformed. That's what it means to be an overcomer. That death doesn't have the final say over me. And that sin doesn't have the final say over me. And if sin and death don't have the final say over me, then that means they don't have the final say over you. And then that means that you can then be victorious in your Christian life, in your walk with God. Not victorious in the sense that all the hardships at work, God is going to prosper me, or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and put it on a mug. Like that's a specific reference to actually enduring suffering. Go back and read Philippians. But to be an overcomer means that God has given us the victory already in Christ over sin and over death. And then he gives us his spirit to help us live as if what's awaiting us in the future is already in the here and now, which it is. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has given us the victory, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If you have a few minutes, I'd like to ask you to go to GoFundMe.com slash Zionstone Church Repair Fund. Our bell tower is in need of some major renovation and repairs, and we can use whatever help you're able to give to us. If you'd like to find out more about us, check us out on our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, or on our website, ZionstoneUCC.com. Thanks again for listening. I pray that these sermons will continue to strengthen you in your walk with Jesus Christ, and may the blessings of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you. Thank you.